0: Good morning. If you are a children, you can kind of head to Children's Church. If you're not, um, you can open your Bible with me. We're going to be in Matthew 9 today. Good morning, I'm yeah. I mean, so excited to be with you guys this morning and so excited to talk about this word and then even what comes after that, right? Like we're baptizing five people this morning um, yeah. and uh, that, that's an amazing thing to me. Um, what that means is not that five people are coming to know Jesus this morning, but that five people are saying to everybody that will listen, right, like, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, that, that, that we'll stand and we'll say, I, I was dead, but now I'm alive in him, that he's made the difference in me, and I'm so excited to celebrate that with you guys this morning. Um, but this morning, we're going to be in Matthew 9, and we're going to just continue the series we've been talking about the past few weeks called Heaven's Open. Um, I love that truth. I don't, I don't know about you, but it's an amazing thing to me. Um, and some of you, maybe you haven't been around, you're like, what do you mean heaven is open? Well, I mean exactly what it sounds like when I say that heaven is open. Like whatever you imagine the, the the door of heaven to look like, or the, the way into heaven to look like, whether that's like a pearly gate for you, or some like golden uh, escalator into the clouds, whatever it is for you, um, that beside that entranceway there's a sign hanging this morning that says vacant or vacancies that there's rooms right in the house of God this morning um, I know that's maybe not popular opinion this morning I know that a lot of people think that maybe God doesn't save like he used to save or he doesn't move like he used to move and I just want to say to you this morning that is false that our God is still the God who saves. He hasn't changed anything. And up until the moment he like, comes back to get his church, he, he's still going to be in that saving business. And this morning, for everybody on the planet, there is a way, right? There is a hope. There is a future. There is a, a promise. And that, that promise is Jesus. So um, I, I just want to say that this morning because that's reality for us. And the church needs to believe it. I know that for those of us who have maybe grown up in church or have been around church very long, we're like, ah, maybe one or two people tops a year, right? Like maybe when they hit that age, like 9, 10, and they have heard the gospel enough times, and mom and dad have brought them every Sunday, they got away, right? And it's true for them, but that's not the only truth. See, the reality of it is Jesus, when he came, came and he offered everybody the way. Everybody on the planet, no matter what the age is, no matter what the history is, no matter what, um, what, what they think or, or have thought or have said or are saying, everybody has a shot this morning. And as we've been talking about the past few weeks, we've just seen that, that God's plan really is that we would share this truth and, and that we would expect God to answer that truth. So this morning we're going to be in Matthew 9, and we're just going to continue to talk about that. In Matthew um, 9, it's the story of Jesus, one of the Gospels. And in Matthew 9, we see that Jesus has already been a pretty busy guy. And it says, in the beginning, that the Son of Man forgives and he heals. Just right there from the beginning of chapter 9, he's healing people. Tells this guy, hey, take up your mat and walk. Never walked before. And Jesus says, hey, you know what would be a good idea today? Why don't you just get up? That's a great idea, Jesus. I will do that. Like a man who's never walked before just gets up. You, I don't even know if you know the physics of that. Like, that doesn't even make sense, right? How do you have muscles in your leg to do that if you've never walked? But he's like, I've never thought of that. I'll just get up today and walk. That's a great idea. So he does. We see that Jesus calls a disciple right there verse 9, goes up to the tax office. If you're not familiar with tax collectors, the IRS, right? They're not the most loved people on the planet, and that's super true for this time period. Tax collectors were thought to be the biggest sinners kind of in the area, and they weren't well loved by the population. And Jesus walks into one of these guys, one of these guys who's cheated people out of money, who's Taking food off other people's table who's lived an expensive lifestyle on the backs of people who could barely eat and he walks into this guy and he extends this invitation, follow me and the crazy thing is he does the man who has everything monetarily, leaves everything monetarily to follow Jesus I just say in the story of Matthew money's not going to do it for you that's why Matthew leaves it it doesn't fulfill you he goes on and he teaches some. Isn't that cool? Always teaching. teaches about fasting. says the girl is restored and a woman is healed. Just right there in the same thing, right? There's a woman with an issue of blood, been dealing with it for years, just gets close enough to touch the tassel of Jesus' garment, she's healed. Been working on that for years, seen every doctor, expended every ounce of money she had. Nobody could do it, and here Jesus does it. Just a touch, just one touch. Doesn't take a lot today this girl is dead right raises her up from they're about to be dead anyway raises her up from that says jesus heals the blind a guy who's never seen before in his entire life jesus like you know what just open your eyes no big deal and he does it and right there at the end of that he even drives out a demon just to show that he can right like you look at that and you're like man jesus you had a busy day all right anybody want to sign up for that schedule today like it's a big deal i think like that's a lot of stuff in a short period of time. And I'll just be honest, that was not everything Jesus probably did that day. You just can't write it all down. It's a little much for one chapter. And then we get to 35, which is where we enter the story. And it says then, right, like after all that stuff, Jesus still got some gas in the tank. It says Jesus went to all the towns and villages, Now, this is not all the towns and villages all over the whole world, but it is all the towns and villages in this area of Galilee. I think this is important for us today because we see Jesus doing these miraculous things in the lives of one or two people just over and over and over again, right? Like he heals somebody that's never walked before, he he goes and he gives a blind guy side. He casts out a demon. And, and then Jesus, after that, like, if that wasn't enough, he's like, but you know what? I didn't come to target specific people. I didn't, I didn't come to only get one or two. I came to give the invitation to everybody, right? Like, not everybody's going to respond. I'm just going to be honest. Like, that's just between them and God. Uh, it's not up to us. But Jesus came so that everybody would hear this good news that, that there is a Savior, so he, he he does have time for the individual, right? Like he it's not too busy saving the world to meet with this blind guy. It's not too busy doing something over here that he doesn't have a chance to come over here for a moment and say, Hey, you've never walked before. Let's try that today. And then this guy gets up and do it. He's not too busy saving the world to save you, right? But he's also not exclusive enough this morning that he's not gonna give you the shot to hear the message, right? So he goes and he does spend time with these individuals. But even in the spending time with these individuals, we see in 35 that he still had some gas in the tank. And it says, then Jesus went to all the towns and the villages. That's a lot of places in this area of Galilee. And it says what he did there, because he didn't just go to kind of hang out or see what was going on. He went with a purpose. It says what he did there was he went to teach in the synagogues. What a weird place, right? Right? teaching the synagogue that goes on every day right like there's always people teaching in the synagogue why did jesus feel that necessary because he was the fulfillment of everything they were talking about right in their reading scripture about how there's a savior coming he's like hey you guys um let me read something for you let me just tell you he's already here so it says he went and he taught in all the synagogues but not only did he teach in all the synagogues here's what he was doing it says he was preaching the good news of the kingdom He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. He went with a message, a specific message. He wasn't just like telling people, hey, let me give you 35 cents on how to live better, right? Let me tell you how to be more moral. So he wasn't really as concerned with that as this other thing. And that other thing was this good news of the kingdom. Now, what is the good news of the kingdom? Good news uh, specifically, right, is translated to a word, the gospel, what it means when you're telling the gospel or sharing the gospel what you're doing is you're telling the good news it's not bad news or okay news or decent news it's the good news i would maybe even upgrade that to the great news it's the better than better news (laughs) like it's the only thing going it's better than all the other teachings and he went around with this purpose to teach this good news but it was good news of the kingdom it's good news of the kingdom jesus went to the synagogues right And he taught this message, and the message was the gospel, or the good news, of the kingdom. You're like looking at that, and you're like, well, that's awesome, Brad. What is the good news of the kingdom? Well, let me just tell you, uh, and I think I prayed most of it, but I'll just kind of recap it for you. Um, These men and women that Jesus is teaching, these Jewish men and women, have been looking for something ever since Genesis chapter 3 all of this book right until Matthew is aimed towards this thing see in Genesis 1 and 2 we see this perfect world that God had created it was an amazing place there was no sin there there was no shame there there was no guilt there there was no fear there it was man God and everything else that God had created and God created man to dwell with God or to be with God That's like part of us. It's in our DNA. We were made for a purpose, and we try to reach out and fill it with other things, but it doesn't work. Uh, But we were made for one thing, and that purpose was to be with God, to have a relationship with God. It says even in Genesis 3 that that man uh, knew what it sounded like for God's footsteps to be in the garden. Isn't that crazy? Like you have to be around somebody a lot to know what it sounds like for them to come down the hallway. Can I just say that? Like, it wasn't Adam and Eve and God in the garden, it was Adam and Eve and everything God had created, which included a lot of animals who, guess what, had footsteps and all those things walked in the garden, but when they heard the sound of God's footsteps, they knew it was Him. And day after day after day, for however long they were hanging out in the garden before this happened in Genesis 3, when they heard that, they would run to God. So that God would sit with them, hey, that's something I made, what do you you want to call that, right? Can you imagine that? sitting down there, kind of next to God, or even maybe on God's lap, and him like, "Hey, what do you that thing with the long neck? What do you, what do you want? What do you want to call that? What do you think, Adam? What, what do you think about that? I made it for you to enjoy. What do you What do you want to call it? That little, that little bird with the weird face that likes Fruit Loops. What, what do you want to call that? <laughs> what, what do we want to name that guy? He would sit with God, and God would show him His creation, and they would it'd be like a kid with a child, right? Like any of you have kids, and you like bring out this thing that you, that you made or you did, and you like want to show them, and, you, and you're just there, like, man, I'm so excited just to show you this. That would be that relationship that God had with Adam and Eve's children, right? And the only thing going in the garden was He's like, I've got, you can eat anything you want, you can do anything you want. I've got two trees. I don't want you to touch those. And it's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why did He not want them to touch that? Because God had already told them everything that was good and evil. They had the opportunity to trust God's definition of good or to trust theirs. Or don't eat of the tree of life. Why did did God not want them to have life? God had already given them life. Man would have never perished had they just continued to just sit and dwell with God in the garden. He'd already given them all those things, but he gave them the opportunity planted in those two trees to choose their own way or to choose his way. You can follow my definition of good or you can follow yours. You can choose life that I've given, or you can look for life in other places. It's the same thing we deal with today, right? We're too busy wanting to choose our definition of good, thinking God's withholding something from us, or too busy trying to chase life in other things. So God said, those two trees, you don't need them. I've already given you everything you need. You don't need them. And up one day, slithers this serpent. He just slithers up, and he's like, hey, you see that fruit? Looks good, doesn't it? It's good. What'd God say about that fruit? Eve said, condemning, right? Uh, He said, don't eat it or we'll die. She knew what God had said. Uh, Do you think God would do that? you think a loving God would do that? Do you think a loving God would, would really kill you? That doesn't even make sense. God surely didn't mean that. You're probably right. I bet, I bet you... The reason He doesn't want you to eat from that tree is He doesn't want you to be like Him with the knowledge of good and evil. What a crazy lie. Man was already made in the image of God. Check out Genesis 1, right? Satan couldn't provide that, right? The enemy couldn't provide that. We've already been given that. And He'd already told us, man, that's good. That's good. That's good. We didn't need our own definition, but somewhere in there she thought, you know what, God's probably holding something back from me. I think I will, and she reached up, and she took that fruit, and she took a bite, and she took it to Adam, who was way less of a conversationalist, and she said, here, this fruit's good. Try it, and he's like, okay. want to throw it all off on Eve, but she at least kind of had a conversation, Adam was like, oh, good idea, and just goes for it. Men are dumb, sorry. Um, I am one, I'm allowed to say that. Um and in that moment, um that relationship was broken. God came to the garden that day and it said they heard his footsteps, and you know what they did? They they turned and they hid from God. First time that had happened, right? Never before had man hid from God. But because, right, the shame of eating that fruit and and, and knowing that, hey, guess what, we're naked, um, They went and they made clothes for themselves and they hid from God and man's relationship with God was broken and guess man's relationship with man was broken. They made clothes not because God would see them naked but because they might see each other that way. And the whole world at that moment was messed up and it wasn't God's fault. And then God stepped into the story and finally gets down to the bottom of what went on and he, he kind of doles out just the punishment for that sin always comes with a price right but in that punishment what he does is he gives this prophecy and he says to the snake hey there's going to be um there's going to be kind of a, a battle between you and in the seed of the woman between your seed and its seed and um he's going to crush your head tells that to the serpent, the enemy, the snake, the devil, whatever you want to call it. Oh yeah, there's a seed coming, right? And that seed's going to crush your head and you're going to strike its heel. That was the promise or the already, right? Three chapters in, promise of this Savior. And then every prophet that would ever come, right? Right? Every person that would ever come, every chapter after that has something in it almost about this Savior that's coming. Man after man would come, and God would give them these words, and we would begin to get a bigger picture. At first, it was a little piece. There's a Savior coming. That's all we needed, right? All we needed to look for. And God unfolded this picture of the Savior And then Jesus showed up, and when he showed up here in 35, he went to all these towns and villages, and he was preaching this good news, and the good news was a Savior is here. We're not looking for some coming Savior to make everything okay. The Savior is here, the one they've been talking about since Genesis chapter 3, when that promise was given, I'm going to crush the head of the serpent. That's what I'm here for. And I'm going to die in the process, right? Like, I'm going down in the process. Don't worry about it. Three days later, you'll figure out something. But I'm going down in the process. But I'm going to defeat the enemy for good. Because I'm going to fulfill everything they've been talking about. It's what Jesus came to do. And he showed up to all these synagogues, and he was preaching this good news. Not so that everybody would receive it, but so everybody would hear it. And He says, not only that taking care of that spiritual disease but he came and he was healing every disease and every sickness i've already seen for like chapters jesus doing this but what it's not saying here is when he walked into a town just everybody got better but what it's saying is every kind of disease and every kind of sickness jesus had the ability to heal and anybody that would ask right he would do it how many times did you see him turn somebody away there was no sickness that was beyond the power of Jesus. No, no disability, right, that was beyond the power of Jesus. And it said that he came and he had the ability to heal every kind of sickness and disease. He took care of not only the spiritual need, but the physical need. And it says in 36, right, when he saw the crowds, when he saw these people, these people of like every walk of life, by the way, not people that are all church people, and all people that all have it together and people that are all wearing the right thing and all people that are all like kind of gathered together already looking for this Savior. But like all the people, I mean all the people, I mean all the people. Look who Jesus hung out with, right? Woman caught in adultery. He's like, hey, don't stone her. You can't do it because you're all messed up, right? Hanging out with Matthew just a couple verses back. This This tax collector, this thief, this liar. Hung out with fishermen. That's who he filled his company with, with, right? Ever heard cuss like a sailor, right? Like these guys probably weren't the most clean, like religious guys on the planet. They were rough and tough men who made their life living out in a boat, catching fish. And when Jesus saw all these people, all manner of people, every kind of people, from the rich to the poor, right? From the religious to the non religious, from the good to the bad. It's all false anyway. There's no such thing. But when he saw these people, it says that he felt compassion. It's crazy. Jesus saw the way these people were living, how that they had turned from God and perverted his way, right? And he felt compassion. Jesus, the Son of God, who was going to die for these people, looked at him, and what he didn't think was, ah, they're not worth it, right? That's what he should have thought, probably, not what he thought. Or, I don't know if I want to do it for them. It's what he should have thought, not what he thought. It says what he saw when he saw these people, he felt compassion or, or sympathy, that he, that, he, that he saw these people not as a group but as individuals and what he felt over these people was this sympathy. Man, they, <laughs> I, I can't believe this. Now, I made them to be with me and they've screwed it all up. Even the people that go to church, right, they've screwed it all up. They want to dress a certain way and they want to get up in front of people and say loud prayers and they want to like, read the Bible and talk about it like they know what they're doing. They want to have pride in how they give. They've screwed it all up. From the top to the bottom. He's like, man, I didn't mean for it to be this way. He says he felt compassion for them. Here's why because they were weary and worn out. They were tired. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. I was thinking about that what do you, what do you mean sheep without a shepherd like how are people like sheep without a shepherd what does a shepherd do shepherd like takes care of provides for but more than that a shepherd leads right leads leads them to good things it leads them to home it leads them to a safe place and he looks at all these people and he, and he sees not the symptoms of everything they're doing but he sees the problem What is was the problem they, they have no shepherd Right? These people were made to be with God and they were made to live under the definition of what God says is good and they were made to live under the definition of what God says is life. They were made to live in those things but because of that relationship being broken and God kind of removing from the picture other than in prophecies and just distant words, right? Like they, They're living in a way that's without God and they're searching. They're searching for home, right? They're searching for peace, for security, for something to fulfill them. Can I can I just say that manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. We're still doing it today, right? Some of that manifests itself in addiction. Why do you, why do you think like, people that are addicted to drugs can never seem to get enough? Why'd that one pill just not do it? And eventually, right, you, you take the pill and you become numb to the one, so you add another and you do two, and eventually you add three, and eventually you add four, and eventually you add five, and then you add more until eventually you're laying in a hospital somewhere, in a grave somewhere. Why? Because pills can't fulfill you. Uh, liquid substances, right? all other substances—they they can't fulfill you. They were never meant to. That's why people go through right marriage after marriage after marriage, or relationship after relationship after relationship, because they're looking for love in one person. And when that person can't fulfill them and make them whole and make them happy, we got to go to the next. And when that person can't do it, we got to go to the next. When that person can't do it, we got to go to the next. A lot of people hurt each other, right? Like, you, you've met those people, right? Like, they, they, they maybe physically or at least emotionally want to hurt other people. It's because they're not physically or emotionally feeling like life works for them. So so they take out their pain on other people. And maybe for a minute it makes them feel better. But then after that, it can't fulfill them. And after that, it can't fulfill them. You, you could chase the rabbits everywhere, right? Money. The richest people in the world, they're still working. Why? Because that mountain of money is not enough. The people with the most stuff, why why, why, are they still do, why, are they still working? Why are they still chasing? Why is that house not big enough? Why do you need another, and then another, and then another, right? Because it can't fulfill you. People with the most popularity in the world, they hate their life. Why do they hate their life? Like, look at Hollywood, right? They hate it. Because popularity can't do it for you. It doesn't matter what you chase. That's why we say things like, um, I guess it just hasn't hit me yet after big events like a promotion, right? Or big events like graduation or big events like I I got this new job. It just hasn't hit me yet, and it never will. Because you were thinking that promotion, it's going to do it. When I get here, man, it's going to be great, and I'm going to feel whole, and I'm going to feel worth something. It's going to be amazing, and then you get there, and it's not. You're like, well, why does it not? Why, it just hasn't hit me yet. It never does, does it? I've said it a million times. And it never will. Because graduations and promotions weren't meant to fulfill you. We were created for God, for relationship with God. And what we do without God is we seek other things to fill that spot. We walk around like sheep without a leader, without a shepherd. And we're grabbing on to everything that we think make, will make us feel whole and at home. And none of it ever does. And Jesus looks at these people and what he thinks is, oh my gosh, they're so bad. They're such sinners. They've got it all messed up. I hate them. I want to kill them. I want to crush them. What he does, he looks at them and he's like, man, God... This was not how it was supposed to be. This was not. This wasn't what we created them for. Do you remember Genesis 1 and 2? Man, that was good. And this is not. they're like sheep without a shepherd it says in 37 when he saw this he looked over to his disciples and he said sum it up for you do you guys see this do you guys see this do you see what I'm seeing Do you do you see what I'm looking at do you get this do you have the compassion like uh, I have right now? Are you getting this that all these people, every one of these people, they they don't need morals. They don't need church. Some of them are already there, and they don't they don't need new habits and attitudes. They need a shepherd. Do you, do you see this? And then he says these words, these amazing words. He says, "The harvest is abundant." Just look around, guys. I, I don't need you to plant anything look around i don't even need you to water anything i've i've done all that stuff i've got all that stuff ready the harvest is abundant and what he's saying is there are people all around here that know they need a savior but then he says this and this is kind of the bad news of the story but the workers are few can you imagine that looking at these disciples who followed jesus around standing there looking at the crowd and he's saying man look at them fields there's all kinds of people in there that are ready isn't it a shame there's not anybody to go in there what do you think about it peter right john isn't that bad right the harvest is abundant there are all kinds of people that need me but man there aren't any people in that field are there Here's what he says in 38: Therefore, because of this, pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. I think this is like the craziest part of this because I think this is so different from every prayer that we ever pray about this, right? Right? What are we, what are we praying? God, just put me in the path of a lost person today. It's like, look around. God, just put me in the place where somebody needs the gospel today. He's like, well, I mean, unless you're in a car with you, I already did that. What we do is we pray that God would send us into a place where people need the gospel. And the reality of what God is saying here is kind of everybody does, right? I've put people all around you. I've I've filled the streets with them. I've filled buildings with them. I've filled your workplace with them. I've filled your school with them. There are people that need the gospel everywhere on the planet. Everywhere you are, there are people. And there's really nothing for you to do except for to like just go. Because it's already grown. Like You don't need to plant anything. And you don't need to water anything. You just need to go find the ones that are ripe. So change your prayer today <laughs> from God send me to lost people, which really, let's just be honest, means God, if somebody that is lost comes to me today and falls down at my knees and begs for me to share the gospel with them, then I will do that. Thank you. Right? Because other than that, like, our eyes aren't very open to it. Um, and what Jesus is really saying to Peter, James, John, and us is just go out there. Pray to the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers and let me just subtitle that for you. He means you. Not somebody else. God, I hope you send some evangelist into my community. I did that. His name is Brad. Or Jade or John or Rick Kenny, uh, Gina. Everybody else, don't be offended if I didn't say your name. So you look at that and you're like, Oh I'm not talented enough. Where did he mention that? Send talented harvesters into the field. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send people with enough knowledge to share the gospel or enough charisma to share the gospel or enough natural ability to share the gospel. He didn't say any of that, did he? He said, pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send people into the field. And here's, let me just newsflash this for you, what he means. Why don't you just pray that he'll send you? Why don't you just pray that he'll send you? Let's pray.